All right, Isaiah chapter 55. There's so much more I could say. There's so much more I want to say. Got here yesterday. Spent some time with a high school friend uh, who lives still in this area. Went over and visited my mom who's deep in the throes of Alzheimer's. Uh, Prayed with her. Tender moments. Caring for her was one of my sisters-in-law. She began to pour out her heart about things in her family. Prayed with her. Spent three hours with Larry over dinner last night. Got up this morning to prepare my sermon. I'm staying at one of my sister's homes. She made me coffee and started pouring out her heart. All that's going on in her family prayed with her. (laughs) Didn't have as much time to review the sermon. (laughs) But I feel like it's already been a wonderful trip home for me. Let's read Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word this morning. Come to the waters. Some weeks ago, uh, the United Nations issued their 2019 World 
Water Development Report, which they publish every year. And in it is the claim that about 4 billion people, which is nearly two-thirds of the world's population, experience severe water scarcity at least one month of the year. So for two-thirds of the world's population, at least for one month in the year, they have big problems getting water. Went on to explain that three out of ten people in the world have no access to safe drinking water closer than 15 minutes from home. I'm thirsty. I'll be back in a half hour. WaterAid, a relief agency in the United Kingdom, tells the story of a woman named Yogita. She lives in India. And up to six times a day, Yogita fetches water from a hand pump about a half a kilometer from her house. She walks. In the summer, when water is more scarce, her husband must ride his bike three kilometers to get the family's water. These reports further indicate that in some parts of the world where coffee is an important cash crop, the coffee farms get what water is available piped in, while the poor are forced to buy water from vendors with trucks who haul the water in and sell it to them at exorbitant prices. Many families shell out as much as 30% of their annual income for water. Think of your annual income. Think about spending 30% of it just for water. And then another huge chunk of your income just for food. Water and food are necessary for life. Without water, without bread, these people will die. Their children will die. So they spend all they have. In the opening verses of this chapter, God extends an invitation, an urgent invitation to the poor to come to Him for water and for food. Water and food given freely without charge. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Now, before I explain what God is saying here, it must first be said that God cares very much about people's physical needs. God cares when cash crops get the water and children don't. Jesus met the physical needs of the poor. He fed them when they were hungry. The early church cared for the poor as they preached the gospel. You'll remember that when Paul went to Jerusalem to convene with the leaders there, he said they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So we Christians are under an obligation to remember the poor and to be eager to do so. But when God speaks in this particular scripture of water and food, he's not speaking of the water people's bodies need to live or the food that our bodies need to live or the bread that satisfies the stomach. Instead, he speaks here by analogy of the water that our souls must have to live and the food that our spirits must have to survive. 
He speaks here of the bread that gives life to the inner being. Now there's a thirst in our bodies. We're all familiar with it. We drink and that thirst is quenched. I I love a cold drink of water when I'm thirsty. My wife doesn't like water so much. I love water. I love drinking deeply of water when I'm thirsty. So there's a thirst in our bodies. We drink and that thirst is quenched. There's like an ah that, that we feel and we sometimes even say. There's a similar thirst in our hearts, in our souls, in the inner man. We all experience this soul thirst. We all feel it from time to time. Just like with the thirst in our bodies, there's an inner sense of unrest, uh, uh, an emptiness, a a sense that something's missing, a, a, a weakness that we feel, an uncomfortable longing. We've all become aware of a deep yearning within, in our souls, but we might not even know what it is. I'll tell you what it is. It's the thirst of a soul which can only be quenched by the God who made us, who made us to know Him and fellowship with Him, to receive life from His words, who made us to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. And missing that, there is a thirst that we feel, that we experience. So here, God invites everyone, everyone that he has made, to come to his waters of life, to drink the waters that he provides, to drink freely, to drink deeply, to enjoy the deepest quenching of that thirst at his waters. Come to the waters. The very first word in our text, come, in the King James is translated, ho. It it conveys a strong sense of urgency and importance. This is an urgent call. It's an urgent invitation to come to the waters that he provides and live. If we don't drink water, our bodies will not live. If we don't come to these waters, our souls will not live. So it's an urgent call to drink of his waters, to receive them as a gift, and not die. Early in his ministry, Jesus said to the woman at the well, you remember John chapter 4, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, the water coming up out of the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. I think it's pretty clear that Jesus had Isaiah 55 in mind when he's speaking to the woman at the well. He was speaking of a different kind of water. Later in his ministry, Jesus was in Jerusalem during the Feast of Booths in John chapter 7. It says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You will have more water than you need. 
if you come to me. These are Isaiah's waters that Jesus is speaking of. They're the waters of life. They're the waters given by the Holy Spirit. Isaiah then moves from the water that we need to live to the food that we need to live. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy? Again, there's a hunger in our bodies. We eat and that hunger is satisfied. There's nothing like having, having a full meal and, and feeling satisfied in our bodies. It's wonderful. Well, there's a similar hunger in our hearts. There's a similar hunger in our souls. Maybe you feel hungry today. Maybe you feel a gnawing emptiness inside, an ache, a craving, a longing. Not in the pit of your stomach, but in the depths of your heart. You're not sure what it is, but you know it's there. That great observer of the human condition, Bruce Springsteen, certainly knew that it was there in all of us, right? Everybody's got a hungry heart. Everybody's got a hungry heart. Lay down your money and you play your part. Why? Everybody's got a hungry heart. Right? I think a more reliable observer of the human condition would be Blaise Pascal, the great French mathematician and physicist who was incidentally involved in a Reformation movement within the Catholic Church that ended up getting squashed. Post-Reformation. Very interesting history, Blaise Pascal. He said this in his work, Penses, which means thoughts. He said, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, God himself Everybody has a hungry heart. So Isaiah is reasoning along similar lines. Why lay down your money? You pay your money and you do your part, Springsteen said. Why, why lay down your money to get empty food that isn't food? Why spend your resources on that? It can never satisfy why do that when you can buy wine and milk and bread? I mean, that's rich food. With money, without money, and without cost. In other words, why work to receive nothing when for nothing you can receive everything? This is how Isaiah is reasoning. So then, well, we're all the way up to verse 2. We will go quicker. We <laughs> I promise. 
second part of verse 2. Instead, listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Well, now it's crystal clear. This food is not taken in by the mouth. It's not for the palate to savor. It's not for the stomach to digest. It's the kind of food that you take in with your ears, that you savor in your heart, that brings life and satisfaction and joy and fullness and strength to your souls. Some of you this morning need that strength. Some of you need that joy. You need to eat a fresh meal. How do we satisfy the soul's thirst and live? How do we satisfy the soul's hunger and live? Well, we come unto him as the poor, as poor sinners, without the ability to pay for anything, deserving nothing, having no resources from which to secure anything. We come to him as the poor. And we incline our ears, the ears of our hearts, to His Word. We listen diligently to Him. We we lean into Him. We move closer to Him. We pay attention to Him. We drink in what He says. We meditate upon and digest in the heart what He says. So Isaiah then moves on from that thought. He says, now, if... Basically, I think he's, he's arguing this way. If we come to the waters that he freely gives, if we buy the rich food without money that he freely supplies, then he will make a covenant with us, as it says in verses 3 through 6. I will make a, with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. God had made a covenant with David. God loved David. And he made him a promise that the Messiah would come from his lineage And that he, David's greater son, would establish a kingdom that would endure forever. Jesus is that great Messiah. Jesus' kingdom is that eternal kingdom. Jesus is the great commander of the peoples. He is the great witness to the nations. He is the one to whom people from every tongue and tribe and race and ethnicity run. When we come to the waters and drink, when we eat the food that he gives, we then become partakers in all the blessings of that covenant. And we become citizens of that kingdom which will endure forever. We enter that kingdom, we enter that covenant by receiving his word into our souls. We've been born again by the word implanted. Right? Well... After making that point, that if you do this, you're going to come into the covenant, he returns to his urgent call to seek God and come to God. And he reasons that the reason that it's, it's an urgent call is because the opportunity to come to him and receive these waters freely without price, to receive the rich food that he offers, is a fleeting offer. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. People think that they'll be able to find God at any time. Now's not a good time. Maybe I'll seek him later. But God has appointed a time during which he may be found. Seek the Lord while he may be found. 
after which he will not be found. There's a window. There's a window of opportunity. God has appointed a time during which he is near to rescue and to save. But after that, he will not be near. We have opportunity during this age of grace to call upon the Lord while he's near. We have opportunity during this age of grace to receive grace upon grace and kindness upon kindness. But this age of grace will come to an end. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Furthermore, our lives on this earth will come to an end. None of us in this room is promised tomorrow. Once we die, the books are closed, and there'll be no further opportunity to seek him or call upon his name. So this is, this is why this, this chapter is filled with these urgent imperatives. Seek the Lord. Come, come to the waters. Seek him while he may be found. Seek him while his salvation is near, while you still have breath in your lungs to call upon his name. I, I just have a sense this morning that, that some of you, maybe some of you younger people, are, have the thought in your mind, well, I'll, you know, I'll come back to God later. You know that there's truth in His Word. You've seen it lived out in front of you. You know it's genuine, but not right now. Oh, please do not presume upon the grace of God. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Come to Him now. Today is the day of salvation. Now, moving on through the chapter because we want to get to the end. Um, it becomes clear that when we turn towards God, when we turn towards those living waters, when we come to the waters, we must turn away from our sinful thoughts and our sinful ways. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. We can't move towards him and stay where we are at the same time. I'm standing up front. If I want to go to the back of the room, I have to leave the front of the room. I can't be at the back of the room and the front of the room at the same time. So as we're coming to the waters, he invites us, come, come to the waters. We can't come to the waters and stay where we are. We have to leave something behind. If I'm going to go to the back of the room, I have to leave the front of the room behind. And this is the way it is with coming to his waters. We must forsake something. What is it that we forsake? We forsake our way and our thoughts. In order to move towards God, God says we must forsake our sinful thoughts which drive our sinful ways and we must forsake our sinful ways. It's critical to understand when God says, let the wicked forsake his ways, let the wicked forsake his thoughts. He's not talking about the most horrible, dreadful, and vile people in the world. He's addressing all of us. All, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all sinners, all wicked, all of us.
are evil. Though humanity is clearly and obviously fallen, we humans still think very highly of our own thoughts. We've filled the perfect world that God has made with all manner of evil, yet we remain very given to our thoughts and our ways. One would think that we would be more humbled at what our thoughts and our ways have produced. In our proud and fallen condition, we're very suspicious of God's thoughts and God's ways, as if they're not the best. I'm not sure His ways are really the best. I'm not sure His ways are really the best for me. I'm not sure His ways are really the best for our world. But look, His thoughts and His ways can never be less grand or less noble or less beautiful or less wise than our thoughts and ways. Right? He's God. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Our thoughts are infinitely lower than his thoughts and profoundly less glorious. Our ways are infinitely lower than his ways and profoundly less noble, profoundly less pure. So, though we often fail to perceive the grandeur of his thoughts, though we often fail to grasp the glorious nobility of his thoughts, though we often despair of understanding what he's doing and the wisdom of his ways, that shouldn't surprise us. That we don't completely get it. And the reason is because his thoughts and ways are higher, better, and more wonderful than we are able to imagine. So, we forsake our natural, our fallen, and our lower thoughts of ways, and we embrace what He has revealed of His thoughts and ways. We trust Him. We lean not on our own understanding. We turn from our sinful thoughts and our sinful ways as we move towards God. So, we leave this behind to go there. And we don't deceive ourselves in thinking that we can be in two places at once. And it's not a one-time thing. This is the Christian life. This forsaking forsaking our thoughts and ways and, and going to His coming to the waters that He freely offers is the Christian life. It's not a one-time thing. Luther's first thesis of the 95 Theses at Wittenberg. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. So life for us is a constant forsaking of our ways. Wait a minute, there's my ways. There's, there's my thoughts. Let me embrace his ways and his thoughts. Let me move towards those waters and live. And then he says the most wonderful thing, if we'll do this, if we forsake our ways, if we forsake our thoughts, if we repent, he'll have compassion on us and abundantly pardon us. Let him return to the Lord, verse 7, second part, that he may have compassion on him and to our God. Why? For he will abundantly pardon. This chapter keeps coming at you. I mean, as soon as like, you feel like, man... 
Now, that's great. I, that's wonderful. I, I, can, I can hardly stand another thought. Then another, another wonderful thought comes. He will abundantly pardon. God Almighty will not pardon you a little. He'll pardon you big time. The judge of all the earth will not grant you a partial pardon. He will grant a full release, a full release from the legal penalties of your offenses. The God you sinned against will not issue you a begrudging reprieve. He'll issue an official warrant of the remission of all your sins and that with joy. He will abundantly pardon. Now in verses 10 through 11, we're, we're making our way through the chapter. Verses 10 through 11, Isaiah returns to the picture of God's word as water. First, we saw God's word as as life-giving water offered to the individual. Come, every one of you, come. I mean, here's an offer to every person, to every man and woman, boy and girl in this room. Come to the waters. But now in verses 10 to 11, uh, we see his word as rain that is sent from heaven, which waters the thirsty ground, which waters the earth. So this is, this is like a stepping back and getting, getting even a bigger picture of the waters sent from heaven, of the waters of His Word. It waters the thirsty ground, the earth. In other words, it accomplishes all of God's glorious purposes. He has said that the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. He said all the nations will stream unto Zion. His Word is going to accomplish that. God has spoken into human history to reveal His plans and His purposes and what He has said will be accomplished. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower, bread for the eater, so shall be my word that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for which I sent it. That rain sent from heaven that waters the earth will cause the earth to bear fruit. Did you notice this was a beautiful spring this past spring? At least it was in Pennsylvania. Did you notice how the rains we received early in April caused, caused the brown winter grass to green? Do you remember when, you know, you look out one day, the grass is brown, you look out two days later, it's green. That's what the rains did. Did you notice how the rains caused the daffodils to bloom, caused the forsythias to flower? Remember when the yellow forsythias were bursting out everywhere? Did you notice how the rains caused that greening grass to thicken and become a rich carpet of lawn? How they caused the rhododendrons to bloom, the buds on the trees to explode with tender little baby leaves, how it caused the cherry trees to blossom, how it awakened the hydrangeas from their winter graves, how it caused the dogwoods to bloom with their pink and their white flowers. Did you notice? It's a truism that April showers bring May flowers. Every time, every year, without fail. It's a sure thing. So God is saying here that as surely as, as, 
As the rains of April bring out the flowers of May, as surely as the spring rains cause the barren trees to leaf out, as surely as the snow melt out west flows into the valley and makes it bloom, so shall be his word which comes down from heaven. It will accomplish the purpose for which he sent it. It will bring forth life on the earth. It will bring forth beauty. It will bring forth a glorious renewal of humanity. And it will culminate in a glorious renewal of humanity's home, the earth. God's word will have its intended effect. Such is the power of his word. Well, brothers and sisters, never read the word of God as if it's the mere words of men or the words of mere men. The scriptures are God-breathed. The scriptures must be read as having come forth from heaven. They must be received as life-giving rain. Are you doing poorly in your walk with Christ? Has it been a difficult week, a difficult month? Has 2019 been less than fruitful for you? Has sin gained leverage over you? Are you in temptation? If so, can I ask you a very simple question? Are you coming to the waters of his word? Are you drinking deeply? Are you receiving the life, the satisfying quenching of that thirst, the, the satisfying, the satisfying uh, fullness of, of having a rich meal of his word? Are you taking in the rains which come down from heaven? Are you reading his word daily? Are you meditating on it? The man, the woman, the boy, the girl who delights in the law of the Lord, who meditates on it day and night, will be like the tree planted by the streams of what? Of water. Not withering and bearing fruit. Look, if, if you start your day with coffee and the word rather than coffee and the web, the coffee will awaken your body and the word will awaken your soul. It'll be like a double elixir. It's good. It's a good thing to do. Let me just give you a piece of advice. Do general reading of God's word. Come to those waters and read. Just read. But as you're reading, look for Maybe a particular verse. You're going through something right now. You're enduring something right now. You're in need of help. You're in, the, you're in the throes of temptation. Find a scripture that that brings you life in the midst of that. And in addition to your general reading on a daily basis or semi-daily basis, Look at that verse again and again and take it in and drink it in and let it give strength to your soul and you'll find that you will be increasingly purified and useful for the master's work. One closing point. This text speaks not only of the written word, it speaks most profoundly about the word made flesh which has come down from heaven. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Jesus himself comes down from heaven. Jesus succeeded in the purpose for which God sent him. And he will succeed in fulfilling God's promises upon his return. When he returns, heaven and earth will be reunited. When he returns, paradise lost will be paradise regained. When he returns, this scripture will be fulfilled, verses 12 and 13. You will go out with joy and be led forth in peace. 
And the mountains and the hills before us will break forth into singing. All the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. When God says you'll go out with joy, he's speaking of a new and a joyful exodus. Coming out of slavery into freedom. When God says you'll be led forth in peace, he speaks of being led by the king himself into everlasting peace. When God says the trees of the field will clap their hands, and we used to sing about it in tag, some of you remember, it means that all nature will rejoice with us. It means that nature will cease its forlorn groaning and start its eternal singing. All thorns will be gone. All briars will be gone. All that pierces and wounds. All that makes labor a burden will be gone. All nature will cooperate with us and work for us because God's blessing in Christ has come down like rain far as the curse was found. And all of this is not to make much of us, but to make much of Christ. All of this is to make a name for the Lord. And it, the new heavens and the new earth, populated by a redeemed people, a transformed people, will make a name for the Lord. So all the thirsty who accepted the invitation to come to the waters... All those who have partaken of his rich food. All who have forsaken their own thoughts and their ways. All who have been abundantly pardoned from every tribe and every nation and every ethnicity will be living on a new earth where all nature is renewed. And that will make a name for the Lord. And it will be an everlasting sign never to be cut off as the last verse says. Pointing forever to the glory of God in Jesus Christ our Savior. That's Isaiah 55. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.